Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, in as much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you, all with affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but, will, but with all boldness, as always, so now, Christ, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from, from my labor, Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between these two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of, of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus, by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs and that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, 
which is to them a proof of their perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Thank you for sharing in song. It's always a joy to, in fact, I was having a conversation this week uh, with someone who was talking through this study in Philippians that we're about to go into and was talking about how many songs come out of this book. Uh, there's, there's several songs that, that many of you probably know that uh, have, have their roots right here in the uh, four chapters of Philippians. So thank you for sharing uh, one verse six with us. I'm going to ask if you would to join me in prayer, and we're going to jump in here these first eight verses of Philippians. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good word. We ask this morning that you would transform our hearts, that you would move us to where you want us to be, that you would renew our minds, that you would take your word and plant it deep in us. Father, we pray that you would guide us by your strong hand, that you would guard us by means of your helper, the Holy Spirit, that you would grow us by your word of truth this morning. May we recognize what you're doing in us each day to prepare us for that day to come. And until Christ returns, let us be found rejoicing in the good work that you started in us. And we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, for the next 14 weeks, we're going to narrow down our focus just a bit. Uh, for the summer months, over the last 14, 15 weeks, we've been in big picture mode. And for these next several weeks leading up to Christmas, yes, I said Christmas, it's coming. December is drawing near, but these next weeks leading up to Christmas, uh, we are going to adjust the lens a bit on the camera, and we're going to zoom in on one particular book of the Bible, the book of Philippians, four chapters in length, 104 verses, if my math was correct, just to give you a, a little bit of an overview, big picture of the book of the series, uh, titled the series, Full-Time Joy. Full-Time Joy. It was intentional about that title in many ways, uh, as we've already heard this morning. This book of Philippians has this theme of joy, a theme of rejoicing. As I was thinking about our lives, though, I was drawn to considering how often we, in our lives, the tendency is to operate with what I'll just call part-time joy. You know, for many of us who work full-time, we have full-time jobs, and, and for many of us, we have full-time benefits. The benefits are included as 
perks for working full-time at your place of employment. There are many folks today who want the full-time benefits, but they only want to work part-time. Full-time benefits are provided for full-time work. Just to give you a, a picture of this church, turn with me to Psalm 103 for just a moment. Starting in verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his what? Benefits. Let me give you a couple of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, praise God, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from destruction, saves you from the wrath of hell, in other words, crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Listen to this. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Listen to this verse. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor has he punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Quite a list of things that God has to offer his children. Huh? Some pretty important things there in that list. How is it then that a Christ follower can actually stroll through this life thinking that exhibiting part-time joy is okay? Convicted of this one. It's easy, and I think you would probably agree, it's easy based on circumstances to get stuck. Anybody ever been stuck in life situations? Just stuck? I want to remind you this morning, and as we go through this series, I think we're going to be reminded quite often of What's required of us in Christ? This full-time joy. Full-time joy. And listen, for those of you that are sitting there thinking, well, I, I, I don't have it in me. Listen, the joy is produced by the Holy Spirit working in you. You don't manufacture this joy. It comes by way of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. He, he gifts it to us. And it's intended to be used and expressed and manifested full time in our life. Let me give you another picture from the New Testament here that might be helpful. Uh, John's Gospel, chapter 15. John's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. By the way, this segment of scripture in John's Gospel, uh, these are the chapters right before Christ goes to the cross. Okay? That's the context. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. We're in 15, verses 10 and 11. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, listen to this. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that my joy may remain or abide in you and that your joy may be part-time? No, 
Full. Full. Abundant. One chapter later, in chapter 16, Jesus is still speaking. Verses 20. I'll pick it up in verse 20. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. He's talking about his departure. The world's going to rejoice that I'm not here. You're going to weep and sorrow. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into what? Joy. And that gives an illustration or an example to help them understand what he's talking about. And he talks about this. He says, a woman, when she's in labor, women, you can understand this illustration. When she's in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, he comes back now. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again. That's, that's the idea of this hope for what's yet to come. And that's going to come into play in text today, also throughout this study in the book of Philippians. This hope for what's yet to come. I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. Or we might say it this way, no one can rob you of your joy. Isn't that good news? It's a great reminder. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life. And listen, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. Your right hand, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's important we ground this joy in its proper context. As we said earlier, it's produced not on our own, but it's produced where we see this in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, this contrast of works of the flesh, which are evident. Let me tell you something. The works of the Spirit ought to also be evident in our lives. But the fruit of the Spirit, he says, in contrast, is love. And the second one on the list is joy. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, goodness, kindness, right? Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Joy is one of the fruit that's being produced by the Holy Spirit working in us. So the scriptures don't seem to indicate any connection with what I mentioned earlier of this part-time joy. It's foreign to the text. Biblical joy. MacArthur writes this in his commentary. He says, is the deep and abiding confidence... Deep and abiding confidence that regardless of one's circumstances in life, all is well between the believer and the Lord. You know, we sing the song, it is well. It is well with my soul. How is it well with our soul? It's when we have this deep and abiding confidence in who God is. That regardless, no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the pain, no matter what disappointment, no matter what failure, no matter whether we've been rejected, no matter what other challenge one is facing, genuine joy remains because of that eternal well-being established in God's grace at salvation. Deep and abiding confidence. Listen, full-time Joy, full-time joy, is not based upon another person or object, 
but a deep and abiding confidence in a sovereign God, who he is, what he's done. I want you to remember that God is at work full time. God is at work full time. The Bible says that he never sleeps. The Bible says he never slumbers. He is always awake. He's always watching out for his children. He's always providing. He's always protecting. By the way, side note, when we pray, we need not pray, God, watch out for us. He is. He does that. That's who he is. God is full-time at work. Full-time joy is also not based in our own strength but in the mighty power of the Holy Spirit operating in me. The Holy Spirit, just like God the Father, God the Spirit is carrying out a full-time work, abiding in us. He's not going anywhere. He's dwelling with us, the Bible says, forever. He's always about His work of leading and guiding and illuminating, counseling, Helping us to see and to walk in the truths of Christ. Full-time joy is also not based on my feelings or my my position in life or or the trials that might come my way. But full-time joy is rooted firmly in what Christ accomplished at the cross. Christ was about his father's work while he was here on earth. His work full-time, was to carry out the will of his Father. He stayed the course. He loved us all the way to the end, culminating with the cross. He didn't forego the hard work. He didn't sidestep it. He didn't turn aside when life got hard. He continued to work full-time to carry out his Father's redemptive plan. And as part of this plan, he delights to fully equip us with his joy. His joy in us is intended to be abundant. It's intended to be overflowing, easily identified. Full-time joy is also not found in any other source than what we have right here before us, the Holy Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 162 says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure... I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Ask yourself this morning, do you rejoice in God's word in that way? If you were to find and know about this treasure, this this big treasure trove, would you rejoice in God's word as much as in gaining that wealth? Chris talked a little bit about that money this morning during the time of the Lord's Supper. How do we react and respond to money and wealth? Are we greedy? Are we we seeking it? Are we desiring more of it? Our response to that, how does it compare the response? Is there any rejoicing that comes over God's word? Psalm 119 verse 14 says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. You know, it seems like the psalmist is on to something here. His comparison, he's comparing something that I believe he knows people are attracted to. Riches. And he's asking the question of all of us this morning, especially as we consider the theme, full-time joy. Do we have this kind of joy as it pertains to something like riches, something that we might pursue in life? Do we pursue God's word? 
Psalm 119, 111 says, Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. The rejoicing of my heart. Is the word a rejoicing of your heart? Full-time joy is what the Lord is after. It's what we're going to be talking about over the course of these next several weeks. Our Lord gave his all. He held nothing back. And he's called his children to full-time joy. And this book of Philippians showers us with the theme of joy and rejoicing all throughout. Some 16 times we see the word joy, either the noun or the verb usage of joy and rejoicing put forth. Strangely enough, the, the theme of joy comes while Paul is writing from a Roman prison. It's one thing to write a a letter of joy, a letter of encouragement, a a thank you letter, if you will. It's another thing to write that same letter while you're sitting in prison. That's what we have before us. This is one of the four prison letters Paul wrote from Rome. We presume this was written uh, from the time period that uh, we, we read at the end of the book of Acts while he's in house arrest around 61 B.C. on the timeline of things. He he writes this letter. He writes the letter to the church at Ephesus. He writes the letter of Philemon, and he writes the letter to the churches in Colossae. Full-time joy. We're called to joy. We're responsible to exhibit joy. We're responsible. As Christ followers, we're responsible to exhibit this joy. Nehemiah, I love it, chapter 9 says that the joy of the Lord is our what? It's our strength. That's our strength. You know, I was having a conversation here just recently about someone who was, was marveling at how someone else handles a hard situation in life. How, how do you handle difficult stuff when it comes? And people who aren't in Christ can't understand how you go through that. How do you go through it like that? The joy of the Lord is your strength. You don't manufacture it. It's it's his work in you, working through you. There's more to come in that as we get to chapter 2 in Philippians. But this full-time joy, it's the groundwork for the series that we're working through in these next few weeks. Felt it important and necessary to kind of introduce that idea. Well, if we turn for for the rest of our time here and look at the text in Philippians chapter 1, what do we see here? How how does Paul begin his letter to this church at Philippi? And how does this full-time joy get communicated in these opening verses? Here's the big idea. This is the working title of the message, God's good work in you. God's good work in you. And the big idea here that I'd like to to submit for our time this morning from these first eight verses, God is faithful. And by the way, that in and of itself is important for us to grasp. God is faithful. You know, when we're preaching the word and talking about what the text says, it's always important to ask, what's this say about God? Let me just tell you, God is faithful. That's something that you can write down, post up. He's faithful. God is faithful to complete his good work in you. That's the big idea here, okay? 
Now, one of the questions that we would look at and ask as we approach these first eight verses, how does this good work of God show up in your life? How does this good work of God make itself known in my life? What does it look like? Okay, that's the question I'd like to deal with this morning. And so God's good work in you, God's good work in you, what's it begin with? It begins with what I just call blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. Surely you know the song, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Blessed assurance. Look at the first two verses. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Who are in where? Philippi. A real place on a map. Okay. With the bishops or elders and deacons. Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Bond servants. As we think about this blessed assurance. It's important when we understand God's good work, we start with the beginning. God's good work in you begins with blessed assurance, with the assurance of knowing that you are in Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy described themselves here in this letter as it opens as bond servants, slaves, slaves, not slaves to sin any longer, but to righteousness, not, not slaves of the devil any longer, but slaves of Jesus Christ. Bond servants of Jesus Christ. I was reading something this week that spoke about how we go about um, introducing ourselves to certain people. And I'm sure this is true for you all as well, as you encounter different spheres, groups of people that you interact with. Uh, you will probably introduce yourself or introduce one of your family members, maybe children. You would introduce your dad a certain way to a certain group of people. You might introduce him a, diff a different way to a different group of people, depending upon what group you're in. Uh, if you're in, a, in some kind of fine arts, if you're in kind of sporting event, if you're at a workplace event, wh whatever that might be, if there's families together... If there's familiarity with your family, you might go about introducing yourself a certain way. What's well, interesting to think about how Paul, through the Holy Spirit, introduces himself, he and Timothy, in this particular letter. He could have used a whole lot of credentials, could he not, Paul? He had a lot he could have put forward. Paul and Timothy, 
We were the chosen ones. Paul and Timothy, I mean, you could just fill in the blank. However he wanted to write that, lots of different ways he could have made himself known to this church. Bond servants. Why bond servants? I believe they wanted to communicate to the church at Philippi their own love for and life pattern in Jesus Christ. Slaves of Christ. That's who we are. And the church at Philippi would have known and identified readily with Paul, I believe, in this regard, as a bondservant, as a slave, as a one who followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Sinclair Ferguson, as he's writing about Paul and his travel to Philippi, he says, Paul and company, they come to Philippi with one aim, and that is to preach the gospel of Christ to all who would listen, whatever the consequences. Whatever the consequences. God's good work in you begins with blessed assurance, with knowing that eternal life comes by way of knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. John 17, verse 3. The letter is written, notice, to the saints, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including or with the elders and deacons. By the way, the only letter of Paul's that actually includes the elders and deacons in the intro uh, of the letter. Well, what we have here in Philippians is a letter to a church that's located in the city of Philippi, which is northeastern Greece on the map, the region of Macedonia. And Paul is writing to the saints. The saints, church, are the set-apart ones, the ones called to be holy. Saints in Christ Jesus. These are saints set apart for the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the people to whom he's writing And Paul uses this phrase, in Christ Jesus, or in Christ, quite often in his letters. One writer said that Paul taught that those who are now in Christ were once in Adam. That's really his theology. We we, we were once in Adam, our, our representative, right? Romans 5, 12. But now we are in Christ Jesus. He uses these terms, grace and peace. Common greetings in his letters, no doubt. But grace, what is it? Grace is this unmerited favor, this undeserved favor, the basis for our salvation. The Bible says we are saved by what? Grace. We're saved by this grace. We are sustained by his grace. In the song we sing, God's amazing grace will lead us home. It carries us through. Grace to you. He's extending grace to the church. He's extending peace to the church. God is the source of peace. The Son is deemed the Prince of Peace. He came and He preached peace. And the Bible says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, having been justified by faith. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father. Our Father. 
He's writing to people who understand who God is. People who understand who Jesus Christ is and what Christ has done and accomplished for them. God's good work in you begins with this blessed assurance. Do you have that assurance, friends? That Jesus is mine? Can you say that this morning? Jesus is mine. Can you rejoice? Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Are you an heir of salvation this morning? Have you been purchased of God? Are you born of His Spirit or born again? Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus? Are you a bondservant of Jesus Christ? Can you testify this morning of God's good work in you? Well, God's good work in you, not only does it begin with blessed assurance, it leads to ongoing prayer. Ongoing prayer. This is a pattern of Paul at the beginning of many of his letters to open up with the greetings. And the greeting is typically uh, up front, the, the person or persons who wrote the letter, followed by the audience to whom he's writing, followed by some kind of greeting, grace and peace to you. But then shortly after, oftentimes what we see is a, a section of, of thanksgiving, a, a section of praise, a section of prayer for this group of people. We see that God's good work in you shows up in this ongoing prayer. Look at the text in verses 3 and 4, also in verse 8. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. There's the first occurrence of the word right there. Verse 4. Verse 8, for God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. You know, as I was thinking about this good work that God is doing in not only the folks to whom he's writing, but the work he's doing in us, that it begins with a, 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 an understanding, a, a solid foundation, a blessed assurance that we're in Christ Jesus but the good work that he does in us it leads to this ongoing prayer. And I was thinking about Paul in prison as he's writing. And he's writing and he's moved along by the Spirit. And he's reminded of his time with the church in Philippi. And he thinks back to the time when the church was formed. You see, Paul was the one who had a hand in planting this particular church at Philippi. He doesn't show up on the scene in Philippi with a church already flourishing, growing, doing great things for the Lord. No, this church wasn't happening. In fact, the text leads us to believe there was no synagogue there in Philippi, which tells us something, that there were not very many males there because there had to be at least uh, 10 
Jewish males, for there to be a quorum, for there to be a synagogue, for a meeting and a gathering together. Evidently, there were not even ten. And so, you read the book of Acts 16, and hopefully you read Acts 16 this week. If not, that's your assignment this week. Read Acts 16, because that is where Paul arrives on the scene in Philippi. Second missionary journey, right? He's there with Silas, and Timothy joins him. And Luke, first-hand account we get during this particular chapter. Well, upon arrival, he recognizes there's no synagogue. And the gathering place at that time was by the river. And originally, a group of women showed up. One woman in particular we know of from Acts 16, Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, uh, led to believe she was a wealthy businesswoman. She heard Paul speak the word of God, and the text says that the Lord opened her heart to believe. Her and her household were baptized. And listen, the good work of God began to work in her. The Lord opened her heart, and she opened her home, and listen, she turned it into God's house. She turned her home into God's house. Hospitality began to flow out of Lydia's home. We're led to believe that in many regards, the church actually initially began in her home. Imagine Paul writing this letter to the church in his mind as he's thinking about the church at Philippi, his mind goes to that young slave girl. Once again, drawn back to Acts 16, Paul has addressed himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I wonder if it had anything to do with his memory of that young slave girl who was enchained by that evil spirit. She was enslaved to an evil spirit. The young girl comes along and the text says that she became, after a while, very annoying to Paul. She followed him around day after day, not in her right spirit. And Paul casts this evil spirit out of her. Nothing more is said of the young girl in the text. But you wonder if she too was added to this church at Philippi. This young girl is set free. Chains of bondage are loosed. She's no longer captive to sin. And as Paul recounts those early years with Philippi, as he's in prison, as he's thinking about them, he's thanking God upon every remembrance of them. And he's always in every prayer making requests for this church with all joy. And he longs for them as he prays for them. He longs for them with the affection the compassion of that of Christ Jesus. I believe as Paul is thinking about those days in Philippi, he can't also help but remember the jailer. The jailer, Paul is thrown into prison because of the girl's slave owners. They were angry that Paul had taken their income away. And Paul and Silas are thrown into prison, into the inner stocks. And at midnight, what are they doing? They are singing. They are rejoicing in the Lord. 
They're worshiping. I believe they were praying too. And as he writes this letter, Paul is rejoicing in every prayer of his. As he remembers this church at Philippi, he makes requests for them with joy. Paul has a special place in his heart for this church at Philippi. He longs for them with this affection of Christ. He prays diligently for them. He devotes himself to fervent, joyful intercession. God's good work leads to ongoing prayer. Prayer that perseveres. A prayer that we are devoted to. Paul says in Colossians to devote yourselves to prayer. In Thessalonians, he says that we're to be praying without what? Ceasing. Ongoing prayer. God's good work in you. It begins with establishing this blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. But it continues. It leads to ongoing prayer then. Understanding his good work in me is going to lead me to a life of prayer for my brothers and sisters. A life of prayer, more specifically, for the church. That's who he's praying for. Do you pray for the church in this way? When you're reminded of the church, do you pause to pray? And is there any, listen, is there any joy as you remember those in the body of Christ? God's good work in you leads to ongoing prayer. Third, God's good work in you results in gospel. Make sure I got this right. Put the right word up here for you. Gospel participation. Begins with the blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. It moves forward or leads to a life of prayer, ongoing prayer. God's good work in you results in gospel participation. Look at the text in verse 5. He finishes in 4, making requests for you all with joy. What's he making requests for? What's specifically for? For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day until now. You see Paul, as he's writing this letter, Paul was there with him. Technically on that first day. He remembers that day. For your fellowship in the gospel. Another word, fellowship. Uh, familiar, if there's a Greek word that, that the church knows, it's probably koinonia. They've probably, the church has probably heard that word before. Koinonia. Fellowship, participation, sharing, uh, has in mind this community aspect. Something we do together. Verse 7, just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. It's coupled with his ongoing prayer. I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains. There's a clue, he's in prison. In my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, 
the defense, apologia, the defense of the gospel. This is, this is probably thinking about whether his current time in prison or just the extent of his times that he's had in prison. Obviously, the church at Philippi saw Paul firsthand in prison in Philippi. And they were there with him. They were supporting him. They were praying for him. They were encouraging him. That's why he goes on in the text and he talks about it's both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You all are partakers with me of grace. You're partakers with me. This partnership is a gospel-centered partnership, a fellowship. And we see that the partnership that's shared between Paul and the people there at Philippi, we go back and we see that Philippi is one of the only churches, at least initially, that shared with Paul, and they kept giving to Paul. How did they partner in the gospel? They partnered in the gospel by sharing with Paul uh, their finances so that Paul could continue his work. They shared with Paul in so many ways in their prayers. They shared in in supporting him and what he was about. And, And friends, that's one of the reasons why Paul writes this letter. It's intended to be a thank you letter to the church at Philippi for their gospel participation, for their partnership in the gospel. You see, gospel work isn't just taking off and flying overseas to a foreign land and doing work. Gospel work also includes seeing that others carry out the work of Jesus Christ. So know that when you are giving to a missionary, when you are supporting a pastor, as I know some of you do here in the church through Gospel Link, when you support a pastor and his family, you are participating in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what's happening here. The good work that's done in you, by the way, the good work that's done in you results in gospel participation. You are going to be a participant in God's good work. This is not an option. This is what we do. We are part of his gospel work now. In Christ, we have this blessed assurance which moves us and leads us into ongoing prayer on behalf of the brethren. writer said, our commitment to Christ always implies a commitment to Christ's people. And we see that truth. We see that truth evidenced in in Hebrews chapter 11. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Gospel participation. This gospel participation was ongoing. Notice he says in the text, in verse 5, he's praying for them with joy for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. It's continuing, it's ongoing. He says being a Christian means entering into a partnership with others to share in the work of Christ. And so this, this partnership, this fellowship in the gospel, it entails giving. It entails loving one another. It entails sharing with one another. It entails providing for, 
looking out for ways to take care of. And all the while as we do these things, we are participating in the work of Christ. We're mindful of what the Lord would have us be about in our full-time work here on earth. So, God's good work in us, it begins with this blessed assurance. It leads to ongoing prayer, and it results in gospel participation. Let me give you one other. This good work that God has started, it continues. This is good news, church. It continues until completion. Until completion. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, or being confident of precisely this. What is that? Here it comes. That he who has begun a good work in you, that's that's a long way to describe God. (laughs) He who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until, or we might also say, at the day of Jesus Christ. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I love this as we think about the church and Paul writing to the church at Philippi. He's wanting them to understand why he's praying for them, why he's thanking God for them, their their fellowship in the gospel, their partnership in the gospel. And he wants them also to understand where their confidence ought to be as we think about God's good work in them. Continues until the completion. God has begun this good work of salvation in them. God has begun this good work. The idea of bringing it to completion has in mind putting some finishing touches to. Any of you around the house uh, find it uh, timely uh, to go around and and put some extra paint on something or uh, make sure that certain, you know, your walls might, might have some holes in them and need a little patching. You need to put some finishing touches. You've got a project and you've got a finishing touch or two that needs to happen. As we think about the text and what the text says, this idea of bringing it to completion, this good work. He has begun a good work. Paul says, he's begun a good work in you and the one who's begun this good work is going to complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. So if he has begun this good work in you, and he is going to because he's a faithful God, God is faithful to complete his good work, he's going to complete it. And that completion happens at the day of Jesus Christ. Guess what? He's not done working on you. He's not done with you yet. It's interesting, uh, one writer had, had, had penned here as he's thinking about verse 6. The reason God has begun to work in us is because he has a long-term plan. 
He's getting us ready to see and share in the glory of His Son. He says, from one point of view, we may seem to have a long, long way to go in growing in grace and holiness. But from another point of view, the major part of the work has been done. The Philippians and church, you all here in Christ, the Philippians were already Christ's. Now God was completing his great work. Listen, the large majority of the work has been done. It's finished. It's finished. The large majority of the work is done. Here he's describing about that work. And we get to chapter 2. He's going to talk about how that actually gets carried out. Right? It's God working in you as you work out your salvation. We'll get to that in chapter 2. But for now, he's just he's, he's presenting this, that being confident of, of precisely this. He wants them to understand this, that the one who began this good work in them long ago, he will complete it. He's going to keep doing it. By the way, just from a terminology standpoint, the work that he's doing from now until whenever he comes back, we call that sanctification, that, that work that, that God is doing in us through the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's a partnership that we see come to life in chapter 2 of Philippians, where he's working in us and we are working out our salvation. Okay, But for, for right now, he's, he's bringing this forward and helping us understand. He wants them to know with great clarity that the one who began this good work, he's going to complete it. And it's going to be completed the day of Christ. Listen, church, turn in your Bibles. This is so good as it connects here, uh, this passage of Scripture in Romans. I'll start in the familiar verse, verse 28. Paul says, same writer, Paul, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who have that blessed assurance, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. This whole concept of Romans 8 brings us forward to help understand this good work. This good work continues until completion. Biblically speaking, it's done. Paul writes here in, in Romans 8, uh, uh, this is a done work. He's speaking of being glorified as put it in the bank, it's done. So we can know and hold on and realize that God is faithful. He's faithful to complete that which he's begun. So when we think about, and as Paul perhaps thinks about as he's in prison, the beginnings of that church... And where Lydia was at, and when he left town, where that slave girl was at when he left town, where the jailer and his family were at when he left town. It was the beginning stages of what would be the church at Philippi. Making progress, understanding that each one of those individuals were not complete yet. 
Understand today that you're sitting here in the chair and, and, and you may be thinking that you're just a long way off. I want you to know that the one who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion. That's who God is. One writer said in a book I was reading not too long ago, talked about this very idea, what God originates, he also orchestrates. What he starts, he's going to finish. He's going to see it through. And he does that because of who he is. He's a faithful God, church. You can trust him. In fact, this verse 6 demands that we have faith in a God who's good. He is a good God. Oh, there's a lot here. I think this is a good introduction to the book as we look at these first eight verses. We see that joy, as one writer penned it, is the music that runs through the epistle. It is. It's filled with joy. And here that joy that's, that's brought forward in the first chapter is a joy that's attached to the prayer from Paul. He has joy as he thinks about and remembers the church at Philippi. So we look at God's good work in you, and I hope and pray this morning that his good work has begun in you, that you can with certainty uh, rejoice and, and know that you are in Christ Jesus this morning, that you are a bondservant of Christ, no longer a slave to the devil, no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. It begins with blessed assurance. And then I hope and pray that as a church that leads to, in our lives, this, this state of ongoing prayer for one another. Understanding what God's done for us through Christ. Our need then to intercede on behalf of the brethren, the brothers and sisters in the church. And to lift up the church. And to do so with joy. To understand then God's good work results in gospel participation. When God has done and started this work in us, there's no room any longer to sit on the sidelines. He's called us in to be a participant, to be a part of his work. And there's a whole lot of ways that you can be a part of his work, church. It's not a one-size-fits-all. There are lots of different ways you can participate in God's gospel work. And this good work in you, finally... This is, this is so good to know and to remember. His good work in you continues until completion. Know that as you sit here today, God is not done with you. He's not done. He is shaping, molding, conforming you and me into the image of His Son. Will you let him do that? Will you go with him on this journey as he desires to shape you and move you where he wants you to be? Isn't it interesting that as Paul is going about his second missionary journey, that Paul had plans to go into Asia. If you read Acts 16, you see that on two different occasions, Paul is moved 
by the Spirit to go a different direction. Until he gets and arrives at a place called Troas. And it's in Troas where at night he receives a vision. And this, this man from Macedonia, we have no idea who the man is, what he looks like, we don't know. But this man of Macedonia appears to Paul and says, come to Macedonia and help. Paul gathers those that are with him. And they make immediate plans to go to Macedonia, concluding, the text says, that the Lord had called them there to preach. The help that was called for was not, hey, can you help me necessarily? This wasn't necessarily the help. The primary help was not, hey, can you help them? I got a flat tire. Can you help me fix my, uh, my roof? No. The help that's called for here is spiritual help. And we see that come to play throughout the rest of Acts 16. I want to leave you with that thought and idea that Paul, as he goes to Philippi, he goes to Philippi not because it was on his travel itinerary. He goes to Philippi because he's moved by the Spirit. And the Lord Jesus gets him where he needs him to be. Paul is rejoicing while he's in prison, thinking about the folks at Philippi. Remember, Paul, while he's even in prison just now, Paul was, as he's writing to Philippi, in that prison in Philippi. It cost him a lot going through Philippi. But the one who began a good work in Paul, Paul is the one, as we'll see as we keep journeying through Philippians, Paul is the one who was transformed completely Transformed completely, God did a work on him and got his attention. And it's this one who's writing who has come to understand this blessed assurance. He's come to understand the power of prayer. He's come to understand what it is to participate in the gospel. His feet, both of them, are in deep up to here. He's in it. Paul is in it. I believe he would call the church at Philippi and he would call all of us to be about being in that gospel work as well and to continue in that work knowing that until Christ comes back, he's still working on you. He's not finished yet. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this good word and I thank you, Father, for the truths that you've given to us through these first few verses of Philippians. I pray for this church here at Hope in Christ that we would have and exhibit in our lives a full-time joy. Lord, that we would rejoice in the good work that you've started in us. I pray, Lord, for that good work to begin in some of the lives here. I think there's some young people here that that good work has not yet started in them. And I pray that it would. I pray that it would ignite. I pray that, like Lydia, they would open their heart to hear your good news. Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. I pray, Father, that some of these young people would hear your word, would receive it, and would produce fruit with their lives, fruit that would bring joy to you, fruit that would show themselves to be disciples of yours. Father, I thank you that you have begun this work in us, and it's a work that you're not going to leave undone. We're, we're, we're good, Lord, at, at starting projects and not completing them. 
But Lord, you are a faithful God, a God that is not going to give up on us, not going to stop with the good work that you've started in us. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that this morning and we thank you and we just say great is your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for that good work in us that you've done. Help us, Lord, to be a people of prayer and move us, Lord, I pray, to get in Involved, to, to get in the game, not be a, a spectator, but to participate in this gospel, this good news. Our Father, we thank you and rejoice in your word. And I pray for this church here at Hope in Christ, that we would stand strong in the faith and that, Lord, we would be a church filled with the fruit of, as, we, as we'll see next week, uh, righteousness. We'll see a specific prayer that gets prayed next week as Paul is longing for this church at Philippi. In the meantime, Lord, I pray we'd be diligent to seek you with our lives. Father, to go about our work, understanding who we are in Christ Jesus. May we see ourselves as bond servants, as slaves to Christ in our lives. May they be lived out in such a way that reflects our credentials of who we are. Thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.